It's a joy to pray together. It's a joy to worship together. Uh, it's a joy to bring God's Word to you today. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new with us today or if you are visiting, having been away for uh, some time, I actually saw a handful of faces of people that I love dearly that have come in uh, that aren't normally with us, and so it's great to see some old friends and faces together. So we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, we find ourselves uh, at the end of the book uh, today. We're going to be finishing up in Matthew 28. Several of you have read through the entirety of the gospel, even though we've preached through really just a few stops along the way. Uh, so I trust that that has been uh, encouraging to you. Let me give just a real quick encouragement. While you're flipping your Bible over to Matthew 28, which is where we're going to be uh, unpacking the message today, uh, why do we pray? Uh, this has been part of our theme, even looking at the uh, prayer pattern of Jesus in this series. Uh, why do we pray? Well, in recent weeks, we've been hearing some pretty powerful testimonies of the ways in which God has been working. And the fact of the matter is, we've been asking Him for that. So we believe that prayer changes the atmosphere and that, that spiritual things happen in the heavenly places when we pray, and then we see the manifestation of that in the lives of people and sometimes in our own lives as well. And so I just want to tell you, as having a little bit of a unique vantage point, uh, I probably get to hear some unique stories that not all of you get to hear, but we are hearing testimonies of God's working in powerful ways, God opening up doors for divine appointments, uh, God awakening hunger among those who need Him, God setting captives free. Last week I talked to a woman who said God has delivered me from uh, drug addiction and has b broken the bonds and literally saved my life uh, in the, this process. And so when we step back from that and say, well, this is why we pray. We pray that the kingdom of God would come into the brokenness of our world and the shalom of God would be restored. And so when we see that, we say, thank you, Lord, and, and we are reminded this is why we pray. As a kingdom person... If you are in Christ today, you stand on the front lines of a kingdom battle. So we should not be surprised when things are hard or when we meet resistance. Uh, many of us, I suspect this is true. Amy and I have had this conversation recently. Many of us, despite the emphasis that we have placed on prayer over this season, 40 days of prayer, 21-day uh, breakthrough fast, uh, many of us have felt a lot of difficulty in actually doing it. Well, why is that? Uh, you've been maybe surprised by the reality that when God shows up, everybody shows up. And so we've got to deal with our own flesh. We've got to deal with the enemy. We've got to deal with the world. This is why we pray, because it's a spiritual battle. Next week, we're going to be gathering uh, for our monthly Living Waters prayer service. I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Uh, when we pray in community together, when we learn from each other in prayer, when we listen for what God is saying to the church in this season and this time. These are powerful opportunities for us to put into practice what God has called us to do. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So next week when we gather for Living Waters Prayer Service, if you're able to be there, uh, come on out. Be a part of it. See what God has uh, to say. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to conclude our series in the Gospel of Matthew uh, with Jesus' final instruction to his disciples before the ascension, and that's what we know as the Great Commission. And I'd like you to read with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 to 20. Usually people start in 19. Sometimes they start in 18. Today I want to start in 16, uh, and we're going to go through verse 20 today. So if you have your Bibles, follow along. If you don't, we have this up on the screen for you. Matthew 28, 16 and following reads this way. 
Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May God add blessing to the reading of his word here this morning. So here's just a little review. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Our first week in this was so beautiful to me and will stand out to me, I believe, for the rest of the year and well beyond as a sweet moment of encountering God's presence together. And I'm talking specifically about uh, our prayer to say, Lord, teach us to be kingdom people. And we gathered together in both of our services at the end and sort of filled up the, the aisles in the front here and, and made a, a commitment together. And I sensed the Lord's presence and pleasure over that moment in a very unique and special way. So I just wanted to, to reiterate that with you, a beautiful moment that we had starting out the series. In the second week, we talked about staying connected to the kingdom of God, specifically through the act of prayer, looking at the prayer life of Jesus, the prayer pattern of Jesus, so that you would never have to be lost again in prayer. And so make sure that that's something that you understand. That is not a once a year kind of thing. That's not a once a month thing. That's a life thing that Christ has given us to live it out. And so as you live it out and learn and relearn what it is to be a man or a woman of prayer, uh, I'm convinced that is absolutely the key Uh, to us understanding what it is to be kingdom people. So last week, uh, Pastor Aiden was talking about paying the cost. You gotta pick pick up your cross if you're gonna be a disciple of Christ. And he used those words, it's fascinating. He used those words with his disciples before he went to the cross. That is so amazing to me. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for them to understand it on one level they, got, they knew what he was saying. There's a sacrifice involved. There's, you know, all that. They knew what a cross was. But then to watch him go to the cross and then to receive later on the, the commission from him to go to all the world and this idea of taking up your cross takes on a whole new meaning when you've seen your Lord and Savior literally do it the way that they did. So take up your cross. Pay the cost. Make the choice. How are you gonna invest your life? What are you gonna go after? Today I want to talk about how the Gospel of Matthew ends with a supernatural mandate to change the world with the Gospel of the Kingdom. So what began as the message or the words of Christ has now been translated into a whole new reality that has gone on to this day. The Kingdom is here and we are called to take up the Great Commission of Christ. I want you just to paint a little picture with you and then we'll get into what I'm going to call a pre-sermon, and then the real sermon. You get double, double blessing today. But let me just paint a quick picture for you. I, I remember when I was young, 19, 20 years old, uh, really stepping into uh, a relationship with Jesus, really beginning to lean into I knew the truth of Jesus. I knew he was. was raised in a Christian home. But when I really was sensing the, 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 the call of God on my life to say, I I want you to take this seriously. I want you to take up your cross and come after me. And that's terrifying, right? I mean, how many of you have been there? You know what that's like to kind of be in that place. It's a little terrifying. I'm hoping that your lack of hands doesn't mean that none of you have been there, but you're shy. That's okay. 
That's all right. But you get to these places where you sense the call of God to step forward in faith, and the, the phrase that stood out to me among many things in that season of my life was I knew that in saying yes to Jesus that everything was about to change. And that's exciting and exhilarating and terrifying sort of all at the same time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you maybe don't yet know what I'm talking about, and we're glad you're here. Maybe you will soon. Who knows? But when Jesus says, I want you to trust me with your life, and I want you to step out in faith and follow me, and when that becomes a reality, it's terrifying. Everything's going to change. And everything did change in my life. I mean, there's really very little of my life that has not been impacted by the reality of Jesus' presence. Uh, not to say that there's not a lot that doesn't still need to be changed. Don't mishear me. I'm still doing a lot of growing. But everything changed. With that sort of in mind, I want you to think about this call that Jesus puts on his disciples. And, and here's sort of the, what I'll call the pre-sermon part. But I, I don't think, I, I, there's a few key elements to the Great Commission itself I want to look at with you. But I don't want you to miss this intersection uh, of worship and doubt. Verse 17 is so fascinating to me. The disciples go to Galilee, they go to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and then verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, that sounds right, and some doubted. And that sounds right too, when you lean it up to the real life experience of what you and I go through on a regular basis. Right now in this room, there are people who are saying, we came into the presence of the Lord and we worshiped, and some of us doubted, right? Is God really good? Is this really the kind of prayer we should be praying? Is this really worth my time and my energy? This is sort of the reality. And in, I don't know specifically what their doubts were, but in the presence of Jesus, the disciples came in their immediate response to worship him, but some of them struggling with doubt. This point may be worth the cost of admission. It's only pre-sermon, but it may be worth for some of you exactly what you need to hear today because I have spent most of my ministry career talking with people about the challenges of belief. Sincere Jesus followers, you know, really people who mean, mean well, they, they love Jesus and they want to go out, but they're wrestling with their doubts and they're not always sure what to do with them. I have been in that seat many times as well. The presumption oftentimes is, we well, shouldn't do that. I mean, there's something clearly deficient about you if you're wrestling in the experience of worship with this idea of doubt. I think we say that because this presumption that you shouldn't doubt. I think we say that because verses like James 1 uh, maybe have been misunderstood. You know, James 1 basically says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because that person is double-minded. You know what I mean? These are, these are heavy sort of words. And so we say, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a doubter. I'm not, I shouldn't be like that. And yet, do you know what James was actually referring to when he said that? This comes right after his passage. He says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Because he actually gives it generously and without finding fault. And in the context of asking for wisdom, he says, oh, and by the way, when you ask, don't ask full of doubt. Ask believing that God is going to give it to you. Why do you ask for wisdom? You ask for wisdom because there's something that you don't know. 
And every one of us at one level or another are looking through the lens in life and saying, I'm not quite sure where this road is going to go or I'm not quite sure what the right decision is that I need to make or whatever. These are sort of doubt-laden times and things. The answer is, ask God for wisdom. And when you're asking God for wisdom, don't doubt. It doesn't say don't doubt or you're just going to lose it all. In fact, I think it's very important for us. This is why it's so valuable. Think about, just follow me for a moment longer. Think about the absurdity of this. You worship a God whose ways are higher than your ways, whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts, while you stand on the front lines of a spiritual battle with an enemy who is primarily known as a deceiver, and you think that you're never going to struggle with doubt. Come on! The disciples of Jesus, they come to the place where he says they see him and they're worshiping him, but they're struggling with this as well. So this is an important thing for us. In fact, this is a beautiful thing for us. This is a scripture comes alive in such special ways. If I was writing this, I don't know that I would have included this. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, to be in his presence is to know. That's not what it says. Some of his very disciples who had walked with him for years had seen his earthly ministry, had seen his death and his resurrection, now seeing the resurrected Christ, and they're wrestling with doubt. I'm telling you, it's worth the price of admission. We haven't even got to the sermon yet. This is still pre-sermon. Just, just stick along with me for a minute. Tim Keller, he said this sort of famously. I've quoted him before. He says, you know, a Christian who has never examined their doubt is like a person who is like a physical body with no antibodies. You find yourself very vulnerable to things that come in. Part of the way that we grow as followers of Christ is we look at the things that are bugging us and the things that we're wrestling with, the pieces that we don't understand. We look honestly at our doubts. We begin to, to, to process with Jesus the things that we don't fully understand. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody, it seems, in the last 10 years, I hear all of these people that are deconstructing their faith. You know, deconstruction is like this, this kind of buzzword. Everybody's deconstructing. I'm deconstructing. I mean, it's very cool to be deconstructing, apparently, right now. You know, and essentially what people mean when they say that is this. I'm, I'm re-looking at base beliefs, and I'm challenging base assumptions that I've just blindly held all of my life. And now I'm not so certain. Usually when people say I'm deconstructing, what they mean is I don't believe what I used to believe anymore. Okay, What's happening? Why is that happening? I think that happens primarily when people don't feel the invitation to look honestly at the doubts that they have. So when I look at a group like this, you know, there's a lot of young people that are here, I want you to hear this, that actually going through the process of, of doubting well can actually be a source of incredible growth. So our goal ends up kind of looking like this as we try to figure this out. Carefully examined doubt is better than deconstruction because it gives us a healthy tension. And here's what the, the tension is. It is to be sincere in our worship and honest in our doubt. So that you don't actually have to put a fake face on and say, no, I've got it all figured out. You say, no, I'm working through. That's one of the most refreshing things when I see mature people that say, here's what I'm wrestling with right now because that's a person that's still growing. I'm just gonna give you two examples then pre-sermon's over. Um, and, for, and, and real sermon's actually pretty short today, so just don't, don't panic, it's good. Um, Daniel 3, I love this passage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, they're, they're told they gotta bow down and worship the idol. They say, we're not gonna do that. And then there's this kind of, it creates this stir, and, and they get brought before the authorities, and they say, maybe you didn't understand. You're supposed to bow down and worship the idol. I said, no, we understand. We're just not going to do it. 
And they said, okay, maybe you don't understand. If you don't do it, you're going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, no, we do understand. And, and then here's what they said. If you do that, we believe that God will protect us. It's a faith statement. And if he doesn't protect us, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. That's actually incredible sincerity right there. That is, a, that is an honest assessment of saying, here's what we believe about God, but whether he actually does that or not, we're still going to be obedient to him. That's like wins on multiple levels. It's being sincere and honest about saying, I don't have God's full mind on this, but I do know that I'm not going to bow down to that idol. I also wonder a little bit, because what actually happens is they get thrown in. So you read Daniel chapter 3. They get thrown in. So they, they didn't know exactly how it was going to pan out. We do because we have that, we can look at scripture and so we know how the story ends, right? So they're actually getting marched to the furnace and it doesn't actually say, I don't think it actually says in Daniel 3 if one of them specifically was like the speaker just as they said it. I kind of like to believe that one of them, probably Abednego, I don't know why, but probably him. He was the guy, so was, you know what, we're not going to bow down and, and you can throw us in the furnace and God's going to protect us and even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and the other guys were sort of like, what, you know? <laughs> Because now they're walking to the furnace, you know, it's like, are we sure about this? Are we sure about, now there had to be a moment, right? That's what I'm asking you to grasp. There has to be a moment on the way to the fiery furnace where you say, are we sure about this? And God's faithful. But they've already put it on the table to say, even if God doesn't save us the way we hope he does, we're still going to be obedient to him. So it's, it's an example. Mark 9 you know, Jesus is talking to a man, and he says, uh, you've you got to have faith here. Man, you've got to believe. There's a major need in his family. And so he says this. He, I love this. He says, I do believe. And you remember what he says next? Help me with my unbelief. I mean, right there, there's that tension. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You know, that's the tension, and we feel that, and we're allowed to feel that. Why? Because Scripture lets us feel that. And that's actually a wonderful thing, and some of you need to hear that today because you're working through some things. I'll just give you one last example. It's still pre-sermon, and then I'll get out of it. Uh, I was thinking about this. John the Baptist. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, <laughs> so John's wondering, like, you're, you are the guy, right? I mean, it's, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus gives sort of a cryptic answer. He says, tell John the blind are seeing and the lame are healed and the sick are and the people are finding forgiveness, just, just tell them that. You know? But John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, is asking the question, have I got this right? The disciples see Jesus, they worshiped him, and some doubted. So I'm just, I say all that to simply say, I love that scripture gives us some permission to actually grow through our doubt in healthy ways, and I hope that you can receive that today. So here's, here's what we see in, in real sermon. Um, the authority of Christ, the path of discipleship, and the promise of his presence. So I'm just going to hit those kind of quickly. Jesus came to them, verse 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's probably good that Scripture gives us an honest landing place with regard to doubt because the command that comes after that is truly staggering. 
I mean, literally, he's saying to his band of followers who don't have, they don't have money, they don't have political clout, they don't have influence in that, by the way, get the whole world ready for my return. Go. That's the commission. I don't know if you've used that word commission lately, or I don't know if you've been commissioned to something, but this is essentially a formal calling out of Christ to say, I've got a job for you. Later today, I'm going to be going to a different church, uh, visiting there. They're, they're commissioning a new pastoral couple. So I'm going to go with some other pastors and say, man, buckle up, because God's got a job for you. And you are being commissioned before your people and before God and before your leadership uh, to follow him in that. So it's a formal moment in this man and woman's life where they're saying, we're going to step into this new calling. How much greater this time where Jesus looks at his, his disciples and he says, all authority is given to me. So from that commissioning is born every church and every ministry and every missionary and every kingdom calling. It was the birth of a movement that continues to this day. And even in this room, you have beautiful expressions of the mission of Christ being carried out in all kinds of unique uh, and beautiful ways. But it started here. With the authority of Christ, and I want to focus on this with you for a moment because this is absolutely critical for anybody who says, I want to be a kingdom person, you must have an understanding of what the commission is based on. It is not on your good looks. It is not on your talent. It is not on your ability. It is based on the authority of Christ. I always thought it was interesting. What's he trying to get at? What he's trying to get at is he wants them to know you're not going to do this on your own. But authority has been given to me, and in that authority, I'm sending you out. When we talk about the authority of Christ, we begin to see it all throughout Scripture. I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, supremacy of Christ, Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy these are the words of Paul trying to put description to the authority of Christ. Paul says to the Philippian church, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scripture doesn't really get unclear on this idea of the authority of Christ. I love Isaiah 52, long before Jesus would even come to earth, Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, what's it say? Your God reigns. It is the authority of God through Jesus Christ in which we are sent out. And why is that important to us? That alone must change your prayer life. And if you get a little hint here, you're going you're gonna to step into something that maybe you've never stepped into before. Imagine Jesus sending out his disciples. Imagine Jesus sending you out and saying, just good luck. I hope you do well. It's not what he said. He said, authority has been given to me, and in that authority, that's how you're going to go. The question is this. 
Do you know how to pray into the authority of Christ as you're being sent out? So I just had a beautiful interaction with somebody after the first service who was talking to me about her ministry. She said, God sends me into dark places, hard places, and I have learned what it is to pray into the authority of Christ. Friends, don't take a step out into the Great Commission without knowing in whose authority you go. And then practically pray it. How do you pray it? Before I get in to this mode of standing before you to preach the gospel to you, what I'm saying, Lord, give me your authority and send me in your authority. And if you're not gonna send me in your authority, then don't send me, because I don't wanna go. I don't wanna be ineffective. I don't wanna be fruitless. But if you've got kingdom work that you wanna do and you call a person like me to do it, then I'm gonna step into your authority or I'm not gonna step out at all. And that's a good lesson for all of us. God has kingdom work for you to do but you can't do it in your own authority. Anyway, I've made that point, I think, well enough. The authority of Christ, vitally important. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about the path of discipleship for just a couple moments. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So I was thinking a little bit about this kind of, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to actually grow as a disciple of Christ? And I think there is a little bit of a process that we see even here in the Great Commission. It strikes me that if you're in Christ today, meaning you have a relationship with Jesus, you've asked him for forgiveness, and you've got forgiveness of sin and the life of Christ now expressed through you. So that's part of your reality today, if that's you. It strikes me that how we get there is almost always like this, like looking in. Now, I'd be actually fascinated to hear your story, especially if you would say, well, my story's a little bit different because I think what I'm believing is this, that every person that comes to Christ starts by looking in. We begin to think about the unfulfilled needs in our life. We begin to wonder about brokenness in our life that we can't fix. We begin to see needs in our life that we can't meet and we can't get met other ways. And so we look inside and realize that there is in fact a problem that Jesus wants to deal with. So we come to Christ, you could say, kind of for selfish reasons. Like you're not really thinking of the world when you come to Christ. You're thinking about your own need. When I was a kid, I mean, some of you grew up in the church, I didn't want to go to hell. That sounded like a bad option. So if it was like, look to Jesus so I don't have to go to hell, that sounds good. If Jesus could get me out of the dentist office, I'd take him up on that too. But you see, I mean, it was like, I was thinking about this life. But then something happens when you come to faith in Christ and Jesus works it into this path of discipleship, baptism. So what starts internal then becomes communal, that there is a profession of faith in baptism. And I'm just gonna park on that for a moment to say, one, we're doing a baptism next week. I love doing baptisms. Last week, we did baptisms in every quarter. That's awesome. What are we doing when we are baptized? We are saying, what Christ has done in here, I am now celebrating with a community of like-minded believers. And that's powerful. But now, at that moment, I'm no longer just looking here. I'm looking at this community. I'm sharing what Christ has done. I'm a living testimony of his work. Now, it's also interesting to me that Jesus could have put 100 things in this lesson of what to do. He could have put none. He didn't put that many, but he did put baptism in. So if you're at a place that you've made a commitment to Christ, you say, you know, this is good, 
but I've never made a public profession of that faith. That is what baptism is for. I would encourage you to look into it. Talk to one of our pastors or one of our leaders this week to say, you know what, I think it's time for me to take the plunge. It's part of discipleship. It's part of growing. And then he says this in verse 20. He says, teaching them to obey, in which Jesus kind of wraps up the whole. I mean, this is, this is your Christian life. This is all of orthodoxy. This is all of orthopraxy. Those are just famous words to say, uh, or, or big words to say, what, what do we believe and what do we do? You know, what is the right belief? What is the right practice? And this is probably not a linear line either, right? Because we go and we learn and we're corrected and we continue to grow and we, you know, we, we work through our doubts, all of that kind of stuff. But to teach them to obey, you got all of orthodoxy and all of orthopraxy right there. And then to go into all the world is where we begin. And so we, what starts here internally is shared communally, ends up taking us missionally to all parts of the world. Um, this idea of discipleship, G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so I say, simply say that to say, if you think it's easy, to stand on the front lines of spiritual battles and to die to self and all. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. But it is good. Um, here's a very practical quote um, from Francis Frangipane. I've shared this before, but let me share it again with you. Uh, if you've got your phone or whatever, just take a snapshot of that. It's such a great quote to hang on to. He says, God's goal is to create and establish functional Christ-likeness within us. We start with the name of Jesus and it transfers to the nature of Jesus. We believe in Jesus until we believe like Jesus. We love Jesus until we are loving like Jesus. God's goal is nothing less than we become full stature Christians. He is bringing us into the fullness of his beauty, his hope, and his love. So this whole journey of discipleship, is a, it's a real thing. How are you doing? in that journey. Let me give you one last little point. Very beautiful. And that is the promise of his presence. So he calls them in. They worship. Some doubt. He's getting ready to send them out in his authority. But it's not just in his authority. He sends them in the authority of Christ and says, and I will be present with you. Now I want you just to Try not to run past this for a minute because I know you've probably, many of you heard this a lot of times. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These seven words carry a ton of weight. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you had something that you knew you needed to do but you did not have confidence in yourself to do it. A step of faith, a step of obedience, a step of confession, a step of new ministry, a faith-filled risk, you know, that kind of thing. You're in a place and you don't have confidence in yourself to do it. But then, what a difference it is when somebody who knows what they're doing says, you're going to be okay. Why? Because I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to model some things. I'm going to help, help you learn I'm going to be patient with you all. That's a totally different ballgame. And some of us know what that's like, to step into a really hard task, but you're filled with a new level of confidence, not because of you, but because of the person who's going to walk with you. 
There's somebody who knows what they're doing, and it doesn't have to be you. This is the promise of his presence. This is the fullness of his joy. Psalm 16 says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Now I wonder about this. When I think about the promise of Christ's presence to this ragtag group of disciples, just go change the world, get them ready for my second coming, but I'm going to be with you. I wonder how many dark nights and uncertain paths have been navigated because of this promise. How many seasons of suffering have been overcome because of these words? How many sacrifices have been joyfully made by kingdom people just like you? Because the promise was we would not have to walk alone. Man, that's a difference maker. I want our worship team to come on up here. You guys get set. We're going to lift up some last worship together. While they're coming up, let me, um, let me just make this super simple. Wrapping up our Gospel of Matthew. This, this is the simplicity of the word. I think, I think, if we miss out on the promise of his presence, I think we've got nothing. Because what we're left with is an immense task that seems still impossible to this day based on the sum of our best efforts. And that doesn't seem like enough. So I think if we miss out on the promise of his presence or if we are a people who never learn to pursue his presence, we're left with the sum of our best efforts. But if we get it, and here's the sort of faith of a mustard seed kind of thing that Jesus talked about earlier in Matthew. If we get it, even just a little bit, man, I think we're equipped in ways that we never even knew to do kingdom work as kingdom people. We might not be an expert at getting it, the presence of the Lord, but maybe we could learn from each other as we go forward. If we get the presence of God, we have everything because we're already sent out in his authority. That's sort of the joy of the Great Commission. And that's your calling, church, to be a kingdom influencer in whatever places and whatever arena and to whatever level God asks you to go. To say yes. Step up. He's got a great promise. I'm going to be with you. So I want to just pray for you. If you'd stand together. Uh, just pray a blessing over you, and um, if you want to put hands out to receive it, I like to do that. Just, Lord, I'll, I'll take it. Go out. If, you're, if you've got a blessing, I, wanna, I don't want to miss it, right? Um, so let's, uh, let me just pray for you and uh, ask you to respond. And Jesus, we are thankful today, keenly aware that to walk into kingdom work on our own authority, man, that is just the definition of a fool's errand. We can't do it. We don't want to do it. We repent of having done it. Lord, we, we, just, we want to receive from you. Your commission began by saying all authority is 
given to you. It's your authority. It's your glory. It's your kingdom. So to the extent that you are calling us forward, Lord, we want to know what it is to walk in your authority. So I just pray that over us. Thank you. I pray that even this week before we step into teaching roles and nursing roles and law enforcement roles and professorial roles, I pray that we would take seriously that we are kingdom people called to be kingdom representatives. So help us to walk in your authority. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray. Lord, I also want to simply ask that you would show us how to make room for your presence. And that is ultimately what we are doing. When we gather together for an hour or so, we're making room to say, Jesus, we need more of you, less of us. When we meet you in prayer, when we meet you in the word, when we're engaging in various disciplines, when we have Bible studies, when we do the, what are we doing? We're, we're trying to make room for you. And God, we're simply saying, we, we believe if we get your presence, we've got everything that we need. But if we miss out on your presence, we don't have anything. So Lord, there's just a, a humility in our hearts that says, yeah, we, we need you. Hands raised, we, we need you. So I, would, I just want to bless you, church, to say that the Lord, the Lord is with you. He is with you in your calling He is with you in the hard tasks ahead. Make room for his presence. Even tell him now, Lord, I'm making room for your presence. Fill up that space. And as we move forward as kingdom people, Lord, teach us what it is to walk in your authority and to walk with you in your presence. Simple enough for us to understand, but Lord, we need your help to walk it out. So we ask you for that now in Jesus' name. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing.